I'm reading from Hebrews 13, 1 through 8, and 15 through 16. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that confess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And our gospel lesson this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come to you and say, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's join together in prayer. Come Holy Spirit, open a place this morning in our hearts and our minds that we can hear your word spoken to us clearly that we can love you more perfectly. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So the book of Hebrews is a letter written by Paul to the early church, to a people who were being Christians in a dangerous world. A small group of people banded together. 
afraid of the larger, scarier world that surrounded them. Does that sound familiar to you? I imagine it's a little bit like what it feels to be in the church today. I mean, why exactly did you get up and come to church this morning? What is it that you're seeking in today's larger and scarier world? What does it mean for us to say that we follow Christ and that we do it together in a certain time and a certain place? Paul writes to the Hebrews, and he gives them a list, a list of what it should look like to love one another well. Those early Christians knew that Jesus said they were to love their neighbor and to love God, but Paul puts some specifics on it. So I want to take a look this morning at six things he tells the Hebrews to do, a list of do's and a list of don'ts. So we're going to take a look one at a time. I don't have the clicker this morning. Oh, yes, I do. There we go. The first thing he says is let mutual love continue or let brotherly love continue. And I'm going to get nerdy this morning, so I'll just warn you up front. We're going to look at some of the Greek words, but I think they're actually interesting and helpful. So this first one is Philadelphia, the love of brother. When Paul says, let mutual love continue, he wants the early believers to continue caring for one another. Uh, scholars use an interesting term for this. They call it fictive kinship, to pretend to be a family, right? Now, I was thinking about it this morning, and of course, I notice when you're not in church, Gary Gray is not with us this morning. I'm looking back, and he's not in his pew. But if you ever run into Gary at church, have you noticed he greets you and says, good morning, brother. Now, Gary's not really my brother. Or is he, right? If we worship together, we have this fictive kinship, and it's, it's more than pretending. We become brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, what does it mean to love our brother? That's one of the oldest questions in the Bible, right? And back in Genesis, when Cain kills Abel, God shows up and says, where is your brother? Do you remember Cain's response? He says, am I my brother's keeper? My dad uses that phrase all the time. When I, when I go back to the farm, especially during hunting season, We'll be running around with all of his brothers, and inevitably, somewhere during the day, I'll ask where one of my uncles is at, and my dad always comes back with the line, am I my brother's keeper? And I want to say, yes, dad, yes, biblically speaking, you are your brother's keeper, right? But what does it mean to have a fictive kinship with one another, to be brothers and sisters in Christ? Why would we need a, a fake family? Why would the early Hebrews need brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, for us, I think the answer comes in the modern world where there's distance or circumstance that, that separates us from our, our biological families, right? Many of us have taken jobs and moved to new places. And we don't have that, that close family bond that they maybe had when they all lived in the same place. 
So what does it mean to, to take care of one another in that situation? I remember how I learned this lesson, by doing something stupid. And the stupid thing that I did was go to the emergency room in the middle of the night all by myself. I remember because AJ was about three months old, and I woke up with a, a severe kidney pain. And I thought, oh, I can't drag my wife and my three-month-old into the emergency room. I'll just go myself. Right? I didn't think, oh, I have a church family. I have neighbors down the street that would, would wake up and go with me. So instead, I went to the ER all by myself. Got a, got a painkiller shot, laid in agony, thinking, oh no, what am I going to do? What was I thinking? Isn't there some better way to live life? I had a, a church family that I, I was too stupid to ask for help from. Well, I learned my lesson. When we first moved here to Chambers Hill, we had a scary episode where Clark couldn't breathe, and he was just three years old. And uh, AJ was still asleep in his bed, and I remembered, wait, we have a church family. And I picked up the phone, and I called Carol Klein at the time. Uh, I'd only known her for a couple of months, and I said, Carol, we need to go to the hospital with Clark. Would you come and sit in our living room while AJ sleeps in the other room? I don't know how long we'll be gone. Uh, I don't know what's coming next, but would you come over? And she dropped whatever she was doing and, and showed up just minutes later on our doorstep. Sometimes, that's all it takes. To, to live out the love of brother and sister in Christ just means to show up when there's a need. Well, Paul says uh, that we need to let love continue, and then he gets specific about what that love should look like. His second instruction is to, to show hospitality to strangers. See, churches can get really good at that first part, right? We love one another, but what does it mean to, to love others who are, who are outside of the fellowship? Paul wants the early Christians not to focus exclusively on themselves, but to reach out even to the stranger. I told you we're going to get nerdy with the Greek. Here's another Greek word for you. You knew the first one, but you're going to learn one this time. He uses the word philoxenia, the love of stranger. He tells them to remember that they know what it's like, as Hebrews, to be strangers in a strange land. The Israelites who had to depend on God when they wandered through the desert should remember what it means to be a stranger in a new land, to treat those strangers with love, with, with fairness, with kindness. Hospitality is to be a mark of the Christian life. Bishop Snazy, a United Methodist bishop, wrote a book a few years ago and challenged people with a modifier on that. He said that Christians should have radical hospitality, that we should practice hospitality in such extraordinarily generous ways, that we should reach out to strangers and love them as we follow Christ. Paul gets specific again, his, his third example. Oop, I don't think we have, but it's okay. We're done with Greek words for a while, so you'll be okay. Is to remember those who are suffering. There we go. And particularly, to remember those who are in prison. 
And he gives the instruction to, to love them as if we ourselves were suffering with them. That's the root meaning of the word compassion, to, to suffer with someone who is suffering. What if we, we truly did that? What if when you, you watch the news and you see uh, uh, migrants at the border separated from their kids, what if you love them as if those were your kids separated from you? What if you had a friend who's in the hospital with cancer and you loved them as if you were going through those cancer treatments too? What if you, you saw a homeless person sleeping outside and you loved them as if you had to sleep outside What would it look like to put yourself in someone else's shoes and to love them with that depth of compassion? A lot of times in our world, we've, we've professionalized compassion, right? We have people who are paid to do certain things, like, like going into prisons and visiting. That's, that's something chaplains go and do. Taking care of the sick, well, we have doctors and we have nurses and, and all kinds of people who do that. Well, it was interesting for me to find that uh, even back in the early days of the church, the earliest leaders were worried that they were professionalizing away the need to care for neighbors. Uh, John Chrysostom wrote in the fourth century to his congregation that they could not just depend on, on the corporate and organized ways that they were caring for people. Even in the fourth century, he was worried that people would just write a check and not engage the Christians were so good at this that they became an early network of, of hospitals, of, of hospices, of uh, places to stay for the homeless. Uh, we invented all of those things to, to live this out. But Paul wants us to do it not only in a, in a corporate way, but in a particular and a personal way. That's part of the reason that we do churches left the building, right? We're caring for people not just by giving to a certain cause, but by going out and connecting with them person to person. And that is a challenge not only for the first century church, but a challenge that's especially meaningful in today's world. We have so many large-scale institutions that can care for people in wonderful ways, but they do that in a way that's devoid of community. And we seek for those places where we can still connect with others and especially connect with those who are suffering and in need. The fourth particular way that Paul wants us to live out this mutual love is to honor marriage, to keep it pure. Now, if you think about uh, ways that we love one another, this is one of the most particular relationships we can have. One of the closest ways that we can be connected to someone else is through marriage. And Paul reminds us to be respectful and honoring of that. Not to take it for granted, and especially not to do anything that would harm a marriage. Paul speaks of it in particular ways and says that adultery is more than just a rule. Now, it's a big rule. I mean, a Ten Commandment kind of rule. But following through and honoring marriage is a way 
that we protect and care for this person that we've pledged our lives to. Now, maybe some of you are single out there and you think, does, does this one apply? But Paul's talking about the deeper issue here of, of how we follow through on the pledges that we make in our lives, marriage being one of the big ones. How do we live up to that kind of promise over the long term? Now, I've done, I think, by my count, 50-plus weddings in my time in ministry. Some of them have lasted, and some have not. But I was thinking about it. Every time I've I've ever stood between a, a bride and a groom, they look at each other with love in their eyes. All except for once. The, the groom was late to his own wedding, and I have to say the bride was not looking lovingly at him as they said their vows. But other than that one, right, every one of those marriages has started out from a place of two people deeply in love, with those happy chemicals bouncing around in their brain as they look at each other all doe-eyed. But this asks a deeper question, doesn't it? What does it mean as Christians to to honor marriage in a way that lasts over the long term? I've celebrated lots and lots of weddings with young couples, but I've also, as a pastor, celebrated with those who, who mark 40 or 50 or even 60 years of being married together. The fifth point that Paul makes is that we should be content with what we have. Now, if you were astute enough that you knew the first Greek word, and maybe you kind of understood the the second Greek word, here's one I bet you haven't encountered before, because I didn't even know it was in the Bible. I didn't know that the Greeks had a word that means anti-love of money, aphil arguros. Paul speaks to the early church and says, be content. Now, some of us are coming in this morning with a nice padded bank account. Maybe some of you had a really good week. The markets were up, right? Others may be sitting here this morning wondering how you're going to pay that next bill that's sitting on the kitchen counter. But what would it mean for us to be content? content. And I love the fact that there's a Greek word for this because it's so intentional to cultivate an anti-love of money, that there would be this state in our souls and in our hearts where we would be detached. I also think it's fascinating that consumerism which we think of as a a modern plague of of American living, was important to the first century Palestinians. That Paul wrote about it right from the beginning. Although I do think there are some challenges in the modern world that the ancients didn't face, and that comes in the form of targeted advertising. Have you noticed, once you search a few times in Google, that they have a pretty good idea of what you might want to buy next. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when I I showed you Clark's gerbil cage? And I showed you how it kind of got a little bit bigger and we expanded and then there were some tubes that came out and other sections that added on? 
Google and Amazon are pretty sure that I would like to buy some more gerbil things. I see gerbil toys, I see gerbil treats, I see all things gerbil every time I turn on any one of my screens. But it made me realize there are a lot of forces in the world teaching me what I need next. Every time I power on a device. So what would it mean to actively cultivate an anti-love of money in that kind of a society? Paul's final instructions are to remember your leaders, or as I would put it, remember those who taught you. I think he means it in a couple of ways. He, he asks the believers to pray for their leaders, to remember them in prayer, but also to remember the lessons that they've learned. So as you sit there today, who would you lift up that you want to remember who has taught you? Who is it that has spoken into your life with wisdom, with joy, with contentment, with mutual love? Who is it that's practiced compassion and taught you? Who is it that you know that's had a long and faithful and good marriage? Who is it that has practiced radical hospitality with you? Who is it that has taught you to let mutual love continue? I like that Paul calls us to remember those who taught us, and he doesn't say that your leaders would be perfect in every way, but that there are pieces of those who have inspired you, points in their lives that have helped you to, to move forward in your own faith, to, to grow closer to God and to, to find that path in life that God has for you. Quite an interesting list Paul has constructed here, isn't it? You know, when I first read it at the beginning of the week and, and thought about it as a sermon topic, I thought, it's just a list of things to do and things not to do. And so many times, I think those outside the church, that's what they imagine. That the Bible's just a list of rules, and faith is just trying to follow the rules you're supposed to do and stay away from the things you're not supposed to do, right? But what if this list that Paul has made, these instructions are meant to free us? What would a life look like if you followed all six of these? I believe it would give our lives a, a Christ-like shape. A shape and a form that would enable true contentment. A life that would be marked by justice with your neighbor and happiness in your personal life. So how would we follow all six of these? Paul says we have to remember the source of our faith and the source of our life. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Many of us live anxious lives, 
right? Pointed toward uncertainty in the future and, and fearful of what may come. Some of us live depressed lives, trapped by something that's happened in the past weighing us down. But this is a powerful statement. If we remember Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it points us to God who is present now and always. In this world that is constantly changing, in our lives that are a series of challenges and changes, how can we live out this life in a way where mutual love continues? We remember the one who first loved us, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen.